This is the Obscurity to Authority Podcast with your host, Darren Cabral. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Obscurity to Authority Podcast. My name is Darren Cabral. I'm your host as usual. And today we have a really exciting guest. His name is Josh Pillsbury. He's the co-founder and managing partner of Summit Commercial Insurance Solutions. So Josh is the guy to talk to if you are a business owner, you're looking for a commercial policy, maybe you want to upgrade something you already have, maybe you're not happy with the current provider. Um, Josh is really revolutionizing the way that insurance companies operate as a broker, um, doing a lot of this remotely, a lot of it virtually, getting rid of a lot of the pain points that are typically associated with um, commercial insurance companies and dealing with commercial insurance brokers. Um, and what he's doing with Summit is really impressive. They're growing very quickly. They have great technology. They have a great track record. Um, and he's just built a great company overall. So I'm excited today to share his story, meet with Josh, go through his kind of journey from obscurity to authority, um, starting with his first kind of entrepreneurial side hustles back in his teenage years, and then building this incredible company, Summit, um, now, and all the lessons that he's learned along the way. So hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's jump right in and let's introduce Josh. Okay, I am here with my friend, Josh Pillsbury, the co-founder and managing partner of Summit Commercial Insurance Solutions. Josh, how's it going, man? It's good. It's good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today, buddy. I'm excited to chat about your past um, and your current journey and everything that you've been building and working on. You've done a lot of really cool stuff. You're obviously still a young guy. Um, There's a lot of young entrepreneurs that are listening to this that I think are going to learn a lot from some of the things that you have been through and those critical lessons that you've been able to kind of acquire over the past few years. Um, So why don't we kind of dive right in and have you kind of introduce yourself to the audience, tell us who you are, what you do, and give us that kind of brief summary, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, my name is Josh Pillsbury. Right now, I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Summit Commercial Insurance Solutions. So we're a boutique commercial insurance brokerage headquartered in Kelowna, British Columbia, and we operate from BC all the way out to Ontario. Um, so we do have a, a national approach, very much a remote company. Uh, we have staff that work remotely from home, and then we also have a physical presence here in Kelowna um, downtown, but um, wasn't always an in insurance. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, lived there until I was about 28. And then I moved to um, Kelowna a couple of years or just a little over a year and a bit ago. Um, I went to UBC, British Columbia, um, graduated with a, a degree in honors geology, funny enough. Um, so had couldn't be farther removed from insurance, but anyone who has uh, spoken to someone in the insurance industry will typically catch a theme where most people didn't intend to get in the industry. They just kind of um, found their way there by um, certain circumstances. And I think it's a it's an amazing industry. Um, I'm so happy to be in it. It's so interesting. Um, I think you really have to kind of have um, experienced it to understand how interesting it is um, from the outside looking in. I think people can have certain preconceived notions around it. And that's where um, no one really graduates high school or university thinking they want to get into the insurance industry. Um, but that was certainly the case with me. I wanted to become a lawyer. And, uh, you know, the way the cards fell is I ended up in the insurance industry. So maybe I'll leave it there and um, pass it back to you. But I can kind of go through the journey that led me to this point, if, if you'd like. Yeah, let's let's take it all the way back to the beginning because um, I want you to go through the whole journey, but I want to make sure I have as deep context as possible. So let's go back to, you know, 12-year-old Josh. Did you know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Was that something in your blood? Was there any of that around you? Or is that something that came later? Like, talk to me about that part of your life. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I always thought I was going to be like an entrepreneur per se, but I, you know, I always had that entrepreneurial mindset. You know, even when I was a kid, I, I remember um, my sister and I have three older sisters. Um, one of them, me and her are very close in age. And we started kind of a little home business where we did all the laundry for all of our siblings and our parents. And then they would give us like loonies and toonies. And then we saved up enough money to buy the the family dog. And the thing was that we got to choose kind of what breed it was and things like that. So we kind of considered it like our, our dog that we kind of worked for. So I guess that was like the first business I had kind of ever started. Um, and yeah, I've always had, a, I just really have always wanted to kind of do things that I'm passionate about. I think that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur and having that mindset is that um, you really have to love what you do. And, you know, you can't build a business unless you really love what you do. So I think it's just about having that freedom to do what you love. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be in the position that I am doing that today. Um, but certainly it's taken a lot of work to get to that point too. Fair enough. So let's pull that forward a little bit to your first kind of career. What was the first job? I mean, you could say 16 flipping burgers. What was the first real job you took um, if it wasn't entrepreneurial? Because if it was entrepreneurial, tell me about that, you know, first real money-making business that you got into. Yeah, the first job um, I took, uh, I didn't start a business. I worked actually, funny enough, for Rona in high school. Nice. Um, so there was a Rona nearby my house. Um, I was taking uh, woodworking and carpentry classes in school as one of my electives. And I wanted to work at Rona. They had a kind of a lumber yard. Some people driving around forklifts and it looked pretty cool. So um, I applied there. Yeah, I had my learner's license. They allowed me to drive the forklift at 16 years old with only a learner's license. I'm not sure. I don't think they would let that um, happen today. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty awesome kind of first gig. I worked kind of on the nights and weekends. Um, and then from there, I worked kind of through high school and then went to university thereafter. Started working at Earl's in university, which is also another great gig. They have a really um, good company culture and good food, in my opinion. So that was a bonus as well. Very cool. So at that first job, and I, the reason I bring this up is because I think a lot of entrepreneurs somehow get shaped by their first job. And usually it's not that it's something they learn or something they want to do. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's, it's, they, they figure something out about themselves that goes, there's a different path for me. And so was there any one of those kind of aha moments, whether it was when you were at Rona's uh, Rona or Earl's um, where you were like, Hmm, this might not be something I want to do forever. I probably got to figure out a different path. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, one thing I discovered at Rona is that I like to get compensated based on the value that I'm putting in. And that was something that I realized um, kind of during my days at Rona. And then also later on when I worked at Earl's and every kind of job thereafter, I've always been a bit more sales minded. And I think that means you're getting compensated kind of based on results as opposed to putting in, you know, hours and time. And so with Rona, we used to actually um, cut wood in the lumber yard for clients that would come in. And so uh, we would get um, a tip based on kind of cutting the wood for them. So someone would come in, they say, I want three sheets of plywood. We'd go in, we'd cut them to their specifications, and then they'd tip up maybe like a few dollars, five bucks for doing the work. Um, and so I really uh, found value in just, you know, being really, um, in my mind, trying to be as exceptional as I could and just give good customer service there. And that was where I got my first taste of kind of like commission in a way. Um, and I think that that really phrased or uh, positioned me to kind of get into the sales um, mindset and uh, grow kind of from there. 
Was there anything you didn't like about those first queer experiences working those jobs or anything that struck you of like, I need to get away from this or was it all pretty positive? Uh, it was all pretty positive. I mean, my first boss, I wouldn't say that he was the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, he was someone who uh, wasn't afraid to raise his voice and kind of, you know, put people on the spot and um, probably wasn't the best uh, first kind of boss. But I think what that told me is that, you know, I don't really necessarily want to do what only others are kind of wanting me to do. I want to do what I want to do. I think that goes back to the entrepreneurial mindset is that, you know, if you spend your life um, doing what others want you to do, you're just, yeah, you're not going to have time to do what um, you're focused on and what you really want. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I think I had a very similar realization as well. Um, so from Rona, Earls, what came next in that journey for you? Rona and Earl. Yeah. And so I was going to university at the time at UBC. Um, so Earl's uh, was a good gig to work at university. Um, and then actually what um, I don't really talk about too much, but it really has um, phrased a lot of the uh, motivation behind a lot of the sustainable initiatives that we're doing here at Summit is that I tree planted as well in university um, during the summers. So I did that again, that was piecework. So you get paid per tree. Um, that's always kind of who I am. I like to get paid kind of based on the work I do. And uh, that is really tough work, um, but it was very rewarding, made a lot of great relationships. And um, I think that that's just kind of positioned me to get to the point where now um, we're actually planting, I don't want, this isn't by any means a pitch, but we're planting uh, 20 trees for every insurance policy that we sell. And we have a relationship with a tree planting company up in Northern British Columbia. So kind of going back to the roots there and kind of coming to full, full circle um, is really important to me and making sure that we're giving back to the community and having some sustainable initiatives. So I think that that was kind of just the path, but in terms of business, um, graduated from UBC, uh, got a degree in um, geology. I was gonna work up North for a mining company, uh, but I was so tired from working every summer up North tree planting that I wanted to explore like a city job for a little while. And by city, I mean like living and working in the city, not necessarily for the city. And so I had uh, reached out to a recruiter and uh, they had a role funny enough in the insurance industry and in underwriting where they were looking for someone with a geology background because they were underwriting a lot of mining related risks and um, a lot of risks that had certain components that might fit you know, that sort of background. So I started there and I thought, hmm, this would be a good gig for, you know, two or three years. Maybe I'll get some experience and then I can go and apply for law school thereafter. You know, insurance and law go hand in hand. Seemed like a pretty good gig. And that was how I got into the insurance industry. And I, I just really loved it. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, you have a lot of decision making authority um, right off the bat, um, which is very unique to this industry. And yeah, that was kind of my first foot in the door there. Very cool. Was there any ever fear? I mean, getting into that, obviously, that was a little bit of an unknown. Um, when you got into that, and you had that much authority, and that much decision making capability kind of right off the hop. Like what gave you the confidence to be able to take that kind of role and feel you would do it well? The confidence to do it well, I think, came from having, again, doing what you love and what you're passionate about. I don't think that I would have been very confident in it if I didn't enjoy it and I didn't like what I was doing. Or going back to the Rona situation, if I had a really uh, bad boss, um, someone who wasn't really, a, you know, I was able to get a mentor. I think that's really important. I'm um, at a young age. Um, when you're just coming out of university, you really don't know nearly as much as you think you do. And I thought I knew a lot. Um, I still in some cases do, but you always realize you never know nearly as much as you think you do. 
Um, and I think that that mentor really taught me a, a ton, um, a lot of lessons that I'm still using to this day that are, you know, insurance industry specific, but also just in general, how to communicate with people internally, how to build relationships and um, how to manage people, how to deal with managers. Um, you know, I think managing your boss in some cases is really important too. Um, there's always a level of personality um, involved and you don't always get to pick and choose who your boss are. It's kind of like family. So you got to get along with them and you got to figure out how to make it work. Otherwise, you're not really going to last too long. So a lot of those lessons, I think, um, you know, the confidence to kind of make those decisions came a lot from having a good mentor and having a good kind of someone to learn from and look and see kind of the mistakes that they've made and, and learn um, without having to make the same mistakes. I actually like something you said there a lot about managing up as well and managing your boss because that's something that I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with him, but his name is Jocko Willink and he's kind of a leadership um, coach, but he's also a Navy SEAL. So he has this, this interesting kind of philosophy of managing up and down the chain of command. You really have to work both ways because even though there's people above you that are kind of throwing orders downward, you're also responsible to manage that relationship, that line of communication and making sure that that what's coming down and what's going back is what they need to operate and what you need to operate downward. So that's a really interesting thing. Um, on, on relation to mentors, like how important do you think it is to have mentors? Because I, I hear that word a lot. I hear a lot of young people talking about it. And the second part of that question is, how do people go about finding, you know, this quote unquote mentor? Are they going to an online service? Do they pay some social media influencer? Do they look for people in their community? Do they look within their job? What's your advice on that for people looking for that mentor? Yeah, it's a really great point because I think, you know, mentors don't, just don't fall into your lap. Like you need to go out and find them. You know, you're, if you're just waiting around for someone to come and kind of mentor you all day, you'll be waiting forever. I think the thing is, is that you got to be pretty, out, you got to put yourself out there um, and you got to give value in exchange. You know, no one wants to be a mentor for someone that's only taking, taking, taking um, and they get literally nothing out of it. Right. You know, because at the end of the day, everyone wants to get some value. Obviously, it's not maybe an equal exchange, but, you know, you can't reach out to someone and say, hey, I want to have a coffee with you and I want to learn from you and um, not kind of give them anything in return. So I think a lot um, you know, it's just finding out what that is. You know, I can't answer that question for everyone, but I'm um, finding a mentor where, you know, you're building a real relationship, you know, like get to know them, like they have personal lives. Um, maybe they would like to learn from you. They they want to learn from the younger generation. They want to learn what matters to you. Um, you know, they're a lot of their clients, their partners are people that are probably 10, 15, 20 years younger than them. Um, you could give them a lot of visibility and insight into, um, you know, areas uh, that they might not have visibility into. Um, so I think that that's important is you got to put yourself out there. You got to go and find the mentor. They're not necessarily always going to find you. And then you got to figure out, you know, how do you give them value back? Because I think it's always a, a bit of an exchange and you want to make sure that you're um, having a kind of mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, because I, I get asked this quite a bit and I think a couple of things I've isolated as well, because it, it's a lot of what you just said is usually what what I say. But when you're looking for that mentor, I think regardless of how you find them, sometimes it's online, sometimes it's a coworker, sometimes it's a family member. I think what you have to do is when you're looking at the people around you in your life, whether it's physical or, or virtual, um, and you tell me if you agree with this, but it's looking for people that, that have a life that you want or are achieving something in an area that you want. So they have to be doing something and getting something and getting somewhere where you look at them and say, that's the kind of person I want to be either as a whole or in that area or in this field. That's what I want. When you find those people, it's, yeah, it's find a way to add value, find a way to stand out, which especially if it's in a workplace, because there's a lot of mentors in, in your workplace. If you pay attention, 
Um, and half the time, it's just standing out by doing a really good job of what you do. Be that person that stands out where everyone thinks of you, everyone talks about you. And successful people look for people that hustle. They look around for who's that next up and comer that I can kind of grab under my wing and push forward, but they want to see you meet them halfway as well. Um, would you kind of agree with some of that? Totally. Yeah, I agree with all of it. I think that, you know, you want to meet someone halfway. And uh, I think a lot of mentors, to your point, they're people that you look up to, they're people that you want to kind of you aspire to be in some ways, um, you might even put them on a pedestal. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you know, you look up to them, you're like, hey, I want, you know, it's not about material things. It's just more about the freedom to do whatever you want to do. You're like that person can go, let's for, say, for example, you know, if they want to go out and golf in the afternoon and they can make it work, you know, that's the type of life that maybe you want to live type thing. So I think it's really important to find someone that resonates with kind of where you'd like to be, whether that's in five years, 10 years, 15 years. I think it also speaks a lot to having a bit of a plan too. you know, you, you got to put a plan in place, whether that's a five-year plan, um, you know, kind of a 10-year maybe goal, you know, put something that's um, maybe not fully attainable, but something that you strive towards. And then of course, if you can find someone that's already achieved those goals, then you can learn from them and see, you know, what did they do to get there? Sometimes there was a lot of luck involved, but most of the time it was a lot of hard work and um, it didn't happen by accident. 100%. And when you do find that person, it just speeds up your progress so much because you can learn from their mistakes. Like all the things they had to like try and fail at and recover from, they can share with you. So you can just by bypass all of that. Um, but I think you're right. You have to look at their lifestyle too, because, you know, for example, for me, like I'm in the marketing industry, right? I have that digital agency suit social here. Um, I know a lot of other digital agency owners that are really successful, but when I look at them in terms of learning from them, I have to look at their lifestyle because I know some of them that build these hundred person teams, but they also had four divorces. They work 16 hour days. They have high blood pressure and that's not where I'm trying to go. So if I take advice from them, I'm going to end up in that same position. And so it's, it's, you have to be very careful who you're, who you're talking to, because you got to make sure it aligns with your lifestyle. Like one of the big ones for me is like, I'm very family oriented. And so if I look for a business mentor, I need that business mentor to have the lifestyle that I want and the family balance that I want, because if they kill it in business, but have a miserable family life, there's, there's nothing I have to gain from that. Right. And so I use that as a big filter myself. And I think people looking for a mentor um, should do the same. Have you kind of experienced that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that to your point, you know, everyone has different goals. They, you know, maybe some person does want to work a hundred hours a week and, you know, they have five fancy cars, a big house, but they're stressed. And, you know, I don't know many people that want to have that life, but there are people out there that, you know, that's who they want to be. Um, and I think a lot of that is glamorized these days and there's hustle culture and you should get out there and work really hard. I think hustle culture, um, everyone should be hustling. But I think that a lot of the time, like it gets a bit toxic in the sense of like, you know, you still want to have time off. You want to be able to spend time with family. If you have kids, you know, make sure that you get time on vacation, you can go and travel. And I think that especially this day and age, you know, it's becoming more and more important to people, especially with COVID to say, Hey, like, you know, the idea of working remote has given people a lot of freedom to say, Hey, I can work while I'm in Mexico. Like I, I knew, um, someone who was working for almost a year and a half during COVID while they were in Mexico and, you know, seemed really fun. I wish that I could do it, but uh, <laughs> just the way that my life works is I couldn't do that at the time. But um, I think a lot of people, yeah, you got to look for the lifestyle you want, and then you got to find the person who's living that lifestyle. Um, and then you got to figure out how did they get there and learn from them. hundred percent. And I love this topic. And before we move on, I'll add kind of one more caveat to that, which is um, you know, it, it is often possible to have everything that you want if you find the right mentor, because 
even in business, I know, I know literally in just in the marketing world, and I'm sure you've seen this in the insurance world as well. I'll know guys that are like the ones I described that are working those hundred hour weeks, the huge company, huge payroll, but their bottom line and their take home is the same as guys that I know that have agencies an eighth of the size. They've just structured differently. They've operated differently. And so there's things in that I look like, because at the end of the day, just because someone has all this stuff that you see, you know, publicly, the hundred employees, big offices, all the fancy stuff that looks like they're big, you know, what actually makes it home and what actually makes it in their pocket is a different story. Um, and oftentimes you find the right mentor, you can find someone who can show you that path of how to do things more efficiently, how to increase that bottom line without killing your, you know, your overhead, your stress levels, your family life. There's people that have figured that out and not every blueprint is created equal. So you really have to look around and think, okay, yes, this is what I want financially, but who's getting that financially that also has the lifestyle that I need and want. And so that's been critical for me as well. Exactly. And I think the whole point of financial freedom, if I'm going to use that word, I know it's way overused, but is that you can kind of do what you want to do. Um, you know, most people don't want to work 100 hours a week. They're doing that because they want to get to a point where they don't have to do that. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people never get there. So I think it's important to, yeah, find that lifestyle that you think that you you really want to live and work towards it, find someone and emulate them and figure out kind of what did they do that was special that, you know, you can also do and learn. Yeah, totally agree. So let's fast forward. Um, you know, you've gone through all that career experience. You got into the insurance industry. You figured out you loved it. You really liked it. You found mentors that were helping guiding you forward. Let's talk about starting that first business. When did that happen? How did that happen? What was the business? Let's talk about that. Definitely. Yeah. So um, I started Insure Solutions with two partners. Um, it was really a side gig and it started as a side gig. And I was working full time uh, as a senior underwriter um, at my company. Um, but what I saw is, you know, a lot of inefficiencies in what we were doing. Uh, I just saw that, you know, brokers and underwriters, a broker is someone who is representing the client who's buying insurance. They're collecting all the information. And then they give that to um, a number of different insurance companies, which are called underwriters, who then provide them quotes. And then they present those quotes back to the client. So the broker is representing um, kind of the middleman between them. But all of that exchange of information flows from the customer to the broker to the insurance company. And um, I won't get into the details, but there's a lot of other intermediaries kind of along the way too. So that exchange of information, I kind of compare it to a game of telephone, like that game that you played when you're in elementary school, where you whisper to someone, they whisper to another person. And by the time it makes it around the room, it doesn't resemble anything um, that the first person said. And I think a lot of that is happening with the, the customer kind of information that they're providing to the broker is that a lot is getting lost along the way and, and it really was hurting the consumer. They're not getting the right, um, you know, uh, they're not getting the right quote. Um, they're, they're just kind of waiting a really, really long time. So that was where I saw an opportunity to just kind of standardize the exchange of that information between brokers and underwriters. I was working um, in the U.S. market at the time and um, the company was called Insure Solutions. So we built a platform that really standardized a lot of that application data. Um, so an underwriter wasn't getting you know, 20 different types of applications on a regular basis, they really could have a, a single source of truth um, and make some decisions a bit more objectively. Because um, that was something that I realized really early in the insurance industry is that it was a lot less subjective than I could have ever imagined. Um, you know, there's a lot of very um, subjective decision making that is happening um, behind the scenes to decide whether someone should get insured or not, or what sort of premium they should be getting quoted. Um, and I'm not talking about auto um, or home insurance. I'm talking about like commercial insurance. So business owners who are buying insurance or people who own properties. 
Um, so I was just trying to remove the subjectivity um, from that and that journey along the way, we went through kind of the whole um, circuit in Vancouver of um, angel forums, pitching to various different VCs. Um, we had term sheets lined up, we were raising capital and um, really when things were about to, when we were about to go full time out of the business, me and the two other partners that I had, that's when Apollo came on my radar and uh, I had met the team at Apollo and um, I really, really liked what they were doing. It was actually very similar to what we were doing at Insura, but it was focused on the Canadian market instead of the U.S. market. And at that time, by that time, I was living in Vancouver. So the idea of building a U.S. platform while I was kind of my home base was in Vancouver and, you know, Apollo was right around the corner. Um, it seemed almost more, uh, it made more sense for me to to kind of partner with Apollo there. So um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but that's where they had actually acquired um, Insure Solutions, and then I joined Apollo. So that was kind of the journey there. Um, it was very startup-y. There was only three of us. We had to be really scrappy. Um, we were building and launching the platform kind of in the nights and weekends while we were all working our day jobs. Um, and again, it started just because it was something I loved. It was a passion project. I never really got into it to make money or anything like that. It was just trying to solve a problem. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot there I kind of want to unpack. Um, I'm going to try to remember all those those key points I want to go through. <laughs> but I will start with the last thing you said about I was never trying to really like make money. It was never about that. Have you ever been money driven? Like from a young age, you ever look around and say, you know, look at a nice house or look at a nice car and just be like, I want that. And I got to figure out a way how to get that. Or has that never even been a consideration? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely want to make uh, money. So, you know, I think it's being a you know, business is about making a profit. Obviously, it's it's a lot more than that, but it really boils down to either make money or you don't make money. And um, to be a sustainable business, you kind of have to make money at some point. So um, I and then me personally, you know, to have a sustainable lifestyle and to just, you know, have that financial freedom that we were talking about before. That's, you know, what my goal is. And to get there, you have to to make money. And yeah, it'd be nice to have a, a Lamborghini or something like that at some point in the future. I don't really think about it, but, you know, maybe one day you just wake up and you feel that, um, you know, you can kind of splurge, but uh, yeah, I think it, it is about making money. I think people underplay how important um, it is to individuals, especially salespeople. You know, I've had some people in the past tell me like, um, salespeople, oh, they're not motivated by money. They're motivated by the culture. They're motivated by the company and motivated by building a great business. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe that's just like you, um, because you know, this is your business. You know, I think salespeople are motivated a lot by money, um, particularly in different roles. Um, everyone's motivated by different factors, but yeah, money for me plays a big part. And, and I think it should for a lot of people, because it can get you to the point where you don't have to think about money anymore, which is a great spot to be. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's why I hate when people say they don't like, some people will literally try to convince you. They just don't care. I don't care about the money. It's, it's like, it's not the money. It's not like money arbitrarily. Like I like to hold dollar bills. It's, it's what the money provides, right? Is, is very enticing to a lot of people, whether that's freedom, um, whether that's ability to take care of their family to a certain capacity, whether that's the ability to invest or explore creative ideas, the money means something to everybody. So like, there's people that try to argue that, but Makes no sense to me. Um, I have a whole range of them. I'm the same. Like there's a whole bunch of things. It was actually a big driver when I got into business was literally driving around certain neighborhoods and seeing a house and being like, wait, I'll never be able to buy that with the job I'm in now. I got to figure out a way to get that because I couldn't accept that for myself. Um, so I, I think it's a big factor for a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs. And I like your perspective on that. Um, so kind of wheeling back. So you had Insura, you guys got basically acquired by Apollo. 
Um, you joined their team. Let's talk about that. How, how was that feeling to kind of not necessarily give up your baby, but like maybe merge it with this new idea, this new team? What did that feel like to you? And let's talk about that experience there because I've been through something similar. I'm just curious on your kind of experience through it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, kind of to put it in perspective, Apollo, I was there for three years. And so where we started when I joined was a very, very different um, place than where uh, we were when I left. Just, I mean, we had some tremendous growth. And so going back to the day I joined, um, there was only a handful of individuals. We weren't really making any revenue. Like this was like, um, you know, very, very early stage company. Um, had just raised a million dollars. Uh, the company had just raised their kind of seed round of capital. And um, the idea was, you know, we just got to go. We got to build a business off of this. Like there's no other option. And at that point, I had joined Apollo um, really with an open mind. You know, I think that you got to join when you're joining a startup that early on, you you can't be afraid of failure whatsoever. You got to be able to absorb the risk. And so part of me really thought that, you know, there's a really good chance that this company doesn't survive. You know, most startups fail. Uh, most people don't like to hear that, but they most do. So um, my job is kind of the, the well, at that time, I was um, the regional business development manager was to generate the sales. So to generate the revenue. So, you know, for me, it was about generating revenue so we can survive and raise um, a little bit more capital and hire a few more people and kind of build a company based off of that. So I had already understood the tech portion of it, I understood the product. I was basically building the exact same product for the US. Um, so I didn't really have to um, understand their business model too much. So I had that going for me. Um, and then at that point, it was just go, go, go. You know, I was calling and kind of signing up brokers, traveling like crazy, um, building relationships with insurance brokerages across Canada, probably met with over a thousand individual brokers in a year. Um, a lot of them like in person, Zoom meetings on the phone. Um, signed up hundreds and hundreds of insurance brokerages for our platform. Um, we didn't have like a customer success team as much at that time. So I was doing the sales plus the onboarding plus the kind of post sales service. Um, but along the way, you just, like when you're in a startup at that stage, you get to learn so much about building a business. And, you know, Insura was very early on, you know, we weren't exactly like scaling the company. So to go from that to joining Apollo and actually kind of building and scaling a company that trajectory was a lot of fun but it was a lot of work too and you learn a lot um that's what it boils down to so i could talk about, kind of about that forever but uh maybe i'll leave it there and if you want to dig into anything but yeah there's a lot that i can kind of dive into with apollo because apollo is a great company and it was a lot of fun um awesome team and um yeah just a, a crazy experience sure yeah because i you know what i had a similar experience in, in one of my first companies and when we kind of had that acquired by a bigger team. And I, I joined that team, to be honest, I struggled with it a little bit. I struggled not being able to lead and, and hold the reins and move it forward and, and be playing a small part in a bigger mission, even though there's still a lot of hats you're wearing, it felt different for me. And I felt that I, I had a very hard time putting out my best work when I was part of this, this larger group. And I had to step away and do my own thing again. And I'm just curious if you went through any of that when you were there. Yeah, going back to um, that question, sorry, I didn't really quite get to it is, uh, yeah, I did. I mean, that's the reason I'm in the position today is that I've launched my own venture summit. And, uh, you know, a lot of that goes back to really just kind of building and owning um, something for yourself and feeling that you are kind of, um, you love what you do. And not that I didn't love what I do at the end of Apollo, but 
um, at the beginning, I really felt that, you know, when there's only a handful of people, you feel like you are the company because there's not, no one really else there to support you. Yeah, there's the founders. And, um, but, you know, when you're at that stage, you really are like, so every individual is so critical to the growth of the company. But as we grew, the time I left, we were, you know, 110 full-time staff. So that was like a 20x growth. Our revenue had um, surpassed like anything I could have possibly imagined when I first joined there. A lot of that was to do with the business development activities and the team that um, myself and actually my business partner, me and him had kind of built and, and launched there. So I think at that point, it's like, I don't want to say it got diluted, but you know, now you're one of 110 people and it's kind of the luster of building a company has worn off. And I think it's just now I want to go out and I want to do the whole thing all over again. But this time I'm the founder and I get to do it exactly how I want to do it. And uh, that's a lot of fun. Exactly. So that's the big exciting part. Let's talk about that. So you went that experience, you've learned a lot doing it. It was great. Um, and you went off and you've now started this company summit. Um, and I'm sure you're applying all those learnings, all those lessons to this. Let's talk about summit and you know, why specifically this, why'd you get back into this game and create this company? What are you trying to do with it? Let's talk about it. Yeah, totally. Um, super exciting to, you know, now we're about three months into this. Um, a lot has happened. We're moving, um, about as fast as we possibly can. Um, I think, of course, a lot of that has to do with the learnings that we've been able to take away from Apollo. So the insurance insurance industry is unique in the sense that um, it's very regulatory heavy. So um, you can't just kind of start an insurance business and start selling policies, you know, a week later. Um, you got to go through licensing. You got to get um, approvals. You got to kind of have insurance companies supporting you and backing you. Um, and all of that takes time. So uh, those are things that we've been able to knock off. We're licensed from BC to Ontario. Um, we're working with a number of different insurance companies that are um, supporting us. And we've actually already been generating sales. And we've um, made our first two hires that are starting next Monday. So two commercial account executives that will be supporting us. Uh, and then we have another hire that's joining us in June. So we're going to have a team of five here in the next kind of few weeks and then continue to grow from there. But going back to just, you know, the actual inception of this company. Um, a lot of the learning has, you know, the insurer experience and the Apollo experience, you know, how to structure a shareholders agreement, how to raise capital, how to deal with investors and personalities all the way going back to my first job, like how I said, managing personalities and people, you know, finding the right types of investors are really important. You don't want to just let anyone invest into your business. Do you want the guy who, or, or the woman who's just calling you up and giving you a hard time and asking you like how revenue is and you know what's going on you know you might want some more passive investors that just really trust what you're doing and they're not going to be following up with you on a daily basis um having fewer in my opinion investors is better um not everyone gets that luxury but if you really want to take a big swing at an industry um you got to do it you got to have more than just yourself you got to have people supporting you you got to have capital whether that's your own or outside um and then building a brand um, is really important. So as you know, um, that's really important to building a business. And I think that that's something that we're really um, going to be excelling at is that uh, the Summit brand is something we're really focused on. Um, we have our core values and what it stands for. So sustainability, um, impact, ownership, and transparency, those are four core values that are really important to us. And I think that those are the pillars of the brand. And I think insurance... Um, really needs those core values, particularly transparency. So that's really where we think we're going to make a big difference. Um, and the final thing that I think I'll comment on that was one of the biggest learnings um, I had 
over kind of the last uh, number of years was um, technology. You know, so Apollo is very much was a, a tech company and still is. Um, but I view technology in a, an interesting way when you're building a business. You're either building tech and selling it or you're buying tech and using it. So if you're building technology and selling it like a SaaS business, um, you better be really good at that because that's very expensive. Software developers are not cheap. Um, it's a very competitive landscape and there's a lot of big players out there that are innovating quickly. I think what we're really good at at Summit is buying technology and using it. Um, I think that we understand there's a lot of platforms out there that we can buy um, that aren't being properly utilized in the insurance industry, like Zoom Info, for example, is one, um, you know, these, these data brokers and kind of getting high intent um, data that you can use to have outbound business development activities. There's a lot of different platforms out there that can really empower your business. You don't need to build it in-house. You can just buy it. And it's a lot cheaper to buy it, actually. And I think a lot of people have a lot of hesitancy. hesitancy around spending money on technology and they'd rather kind of try and figure it out for themselves and build proprietary tech. And I just think that, you know, that's the wrong philosophy, in my opinion. I think you need to buy it from people who are really good at building it or get really good at building it and sell it. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's two things. So the two core parts that I'm going to bring back to the beginning of that conversation, which was um, let, let's go back to when you're talking about partnerships and invest. Like it seems like a big part of building this business um, besides technology, which I want to dive deeper in because that was a really good point. But before I do technology, a big part of this business was definitely partnerships in every area. So I think whether that was, you know, your, your co-founder and your, your initial kind of hiring team, um, your startup team or your investors or the insurance companies, it all kind of came down to those human relationships how have you kind of refined that over the years or how can someone refine that? Because I don't think it's possible to do business, especially now, without that ability to create these long lasting, important relationships. So what's kind of your strategy and how you've done that and how others can do that? Definitely. I, partnerships is a, an interesting word because it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And I was the VP of partnerships at Apollo. So I led our partnerships channel um, and that, like I said, means many different things. So you can have, you know, like you said, you can have investment partnerships, you can have insurance company partnerships, technology and integration partnerships, you can have affinity slash like brand and marketing partnerships, uh, referral partnerships, there's a lot of different types. And but really, to your point, it all boils down to one thing. And that's um, kind of going back to the same thing with the mentor, because that's a form of a partnership, too, is that you need to have an exchange of value, you know, both both individuals or both entities need to be getting something out of it. You can't have a one-way partnership. It's just not really the definition of the work. So um, I think a lot of people, when they look at a partnership, especially these days, if you're following LinkedIn and building a partnership, it's like, I want to get leads, you know, and, and like, uh, that was something that was really important to us at Apollo was that, you know, we were using partnerships in a more business development sense where, you know, we were getting insurance leads um, from our partners, but you have to give something back. So we have to give back content. We have to give back webinars, education, um, you know, compensation. Um, there's a lot of ways to give back, but yeah, fostering partnerships is is the most important thing that you can do as a business owner um, because they can be the most uh, successful for channel for you, um, whether that's for getting product, whether it's for generating sales or getting your brand out there. Um, you know, the opportunities are unlimited. So I think that that word, it can mean what you want it to mean, but it's just, it is probably the most important thing um, in building a business is fostering very strong partnerships. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I love that you kind of covered that. And it's true. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. Like, I mean, even like here at our agency, we, we call our clients, our partners, because to us, it's like the value exchange is yes, they're paying us and they've hired us. And, and, you know, that's what we're getting out of the relationship, but we're giving back to them that output, right. That marketing work, those leads, that business they're generating from that investment. And so it's very much a partnership in that sense as well. Um, and I think a lot of the most successful businesses look at their clients as partners um, and not just clients, not just customers, but actually people that are working together to move towards something. Um, so I, I love that. I love that in every aspect. So that that's cool. That covers that. The other big thing, because I wanted to dive into this a little bit before we wrap up, is the technology. I really like what you said because so few people have covered that where they say, you know, there is those two options. It's you, you build it and you sell it um, or you buy it and you use it. And I think too many people are avoiding that second one because they don't think the value is there. They just think, well, if I'm just using it, anyone can use it and all my competitors can use it. But you said something really important, which is a lot of people are not using it well. A lot of people are not deploying technology because I'm a big believer in that philosophy. Like here at Suits, all the technology we have, we've bought and we're deploying, but we use it everywhere. Like from analytics, literally all the way to copywriting. Like when we write ads, we use AI bots that can write copy at scale. And this is something that a lot of agencies aren't doing properly. Like we're training AI, we're building that out. That's stuff that exists. Any other agency can buy that, but they're not, or they do and don't use it properly. We use it for our design work. We literally use it for everything. So I love that philosophy you use because for us, it's been a huge force multiplier. We can do a lot more, a lot faster, a lot better, a lot more consistent. And I didn't have to go engineer all of this and spend millions of dollars. I'm able to pay a fee up front to license it or a monthly fee to use the service, um, whatever it may be. And we get all the benefits of someone's you know, years of hard work and millions of dollars of investment. And now we get to capitalize on that right away. So how are some of the ways that you've done that and you're using technology in the business now? Yeah, all of those points couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the idea of the hesitancy for a lot of businesses to buy technology and use it um, is is extreme in many cases, and particularly in the insurance industry, because the insurance industry obviously is known for being very conservative, not exactly at the forefront of tech. And I think that creates a big opportunity, honestly, for a lot of um, businesses like Summit. And there's, you know, I'm sure a lot of others out there that are effectively using technology to separate themselves from the competition. And whether you're using the exact same type of technology, the same platform, obviously there's a, you know, it's like everyone you can use the same tool. You can give two people a hockey stick, but like, do they know how to use it effectively? You know, so you got to practice, you got to understand the tech, you got to understand what does it integrate with? You know, if you buy a technology like HubSpot or Salesforce and you think it's just going to change your business overnight, it's not because you're going to have to train yourself on it. You got to understand how to use it. Um, and so I think a lot of that boils down to just investing the time to understand what technology do you need? Something that's been really powerful for us and will continue to be, um, is that we, uh, and it's not cheap, but we we use Zoom Info, um, which is a kind of data aggregator. Um, so we can get um, we can get high intent data. And what I mean by that is finding the customer at the right time is probably the most important thing that you can do for generating sales and being efficient. Partnerships are really good at that because you can get access to a customer that is kind of deeper in that buying journey from partnering with a trusted vendor, for example, um, where they're willing to kind of act on some sort of call to action and that's the value of partnerships is that you're getting access to higher intent customers that actually have an interest in your product as opposed to just kind of spraying out um you know a bunch of uh marketing collateral and just hoping that something sticks so the same thing with zoom info is that um you can find consumers that are 
looking for commercial insurance, you can find them. They're looking, searching general liability in Google. They can, they've read three blogs. Um, and you can see that a business has been searching for this product for the last 30 days. Hey, it's probably a good time to call them. So if you're doing a cold calling campaign, you're doing outbound email outreach, or you're enrolling them in a sequence, you know, you need to make sure that you're using those that time effectively. And so if you're reaching out to someone that you know is in market for that product, then that's a pretty good use of business development resources. So I think that if you're willing to invest in the tech, it can exponentially grow your business. Um, you just really got to be willing to kind of put lay some money down and, and invest in yourself, invest in the business. You know, you can try and do it all yourself, but that's not really a good way to build a, a scalable, sustainable business. So um, I guess I'll leave it there. But yeah, buying technology and using it effectively is probably the best thing that you can do to separate yourself from the competition. Doesn't matter if your competitors are using the same tech, if you're using it better. Exactly. No, I I, I totally agree. Um, I'll have to pick your brain maybe off air about Zoom Info because that sounds, I've heard of it. Um, I've never used it, but it sounds great. And I'm that kind of guy that like when I hear there's technology that might make our life a little easier, a little more efficient, I'm going to want to dig into it. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm sure there's a million other ways you guys are using tech as well. Definitely. Um, yeah, I'm giving them, they don't need me to yeah. push them. They're a big company, but I'm giving them a lot of credit. Um, there's a lot of other companies out there that do similar. So uh, we went through a pretty long vetting process to finally end up at Zoom Info and it was the right fit for us. But um, there's other competitors out there to Zoom Info that could probably be a good fit for any of the listeners that are listening to this business um, and happy to kind of uh, provide any information for anyone who wanted to reach out to me on that. Very cool. I love that. And I must ask, I mean, speaking about innovation and insurance companies, now this is totally different, sort of, kind of, because it's more on the personal side, but actually it's happened on the commercial side too. Every time I interact with an insurance, my insurance company ever, it's a flood of paperwork so thick that I can't get it in my office once it arrives. And if I so much as change a single digit of anything, I get 3,000 pages of paperwork. Are you guys doing anything to rectify this and eliminate the flood of paper? Yes, yes, we are. So um, home insurance, personal insurance and commercial insurance obviously are, are different, but they're very similar um, as well. So I think personal insurance like home and to a certain extent auto, they're a little bit more, they're farther along the technology kind of innovation and disruption journey than commercial insurance. So you can buy renter's insurance online. You can buy home insurance online. Um, you know, in some provinces, you can buy auto insurance online. Um, you know, commercial insurance online is still relatively immature. And the main reason for that is obviously it's a more complex product. So there's a lot of providers out there that are trying to figure out how to crack the nut and making that experience as seamless as possible. You know, I have a com kind of comparison is that, you know, whether you're filling in an online form or whether you're doing it uh, kind of physical paperwork or filling in a PDF, if you're, gonna, if you're getting asked 30, 40 questions, that's going to be a painful experience regardless. So I think the big key for us is that we're working with our insurance partners to make sure that we can understand, hey, what questions can we remove and which questions are you actually using? Um, because there's a lot of questions that insurance companies are asking that they don't actually do anything with that data. Um, they just have asked that question for the last hundred years and they're going to ask it unless someone pushes back. So I think that's what the value we can provide, particularly for that those more complex um, insurance policies for businesses is that we're able to go out there and we're able to essentially negotiate on your behalf of like, what data do you really need to share and um, making it so instead of having to fill in five pages online in a web form, um, we give you a simple link. You can fill in a few pieces of information. We shop it around, we get you a quote, you present the quote back to you, and then you can complete that transaction online. 
Um, and you still do need that advice and counsel in the commercial space. So we know that that's very important, no matter how digital the commercial um, insurance industry gets, um, to just have someone that you can call up and ask a question um, that is kind of a trusted advisor. We understand how important that is. So no matter how digital um, and self-serve we get as a business, um, we're still going to make sure that we're adding that personal component where someone has a human they can call up because uh, there's nothing more that I don't like than getting on hold at BMO or tell us for an hour and a half to try and speak with a human being. So um, we're going to make sure we never get there. Yeah, that's that. That's a great point. And, and, and I can see I can see from an outsider's perspective, even the frustration you've had with the old school insurance industry and your desire to innovate because it is it is so needed, even on simple things. Like I've always wondered why my policies have to come in physical paper form. Like, why can't we host that on some sort of cloud? Like, why do I need this thick? Like every time I make a change, I, I have so much, I can't even get rid of it. I'm going to have to have like a document disposal company just for my insurance policies every time I've made a change to them. Um, and I've always wondered like how hard could that possibly be to like restructure that and do it virtually? Totally. And it goes back to the buying tech and using it. Like there's a lot of technology out there that you can use to really streamline that process and make it self-serve for the customer. You know, and we want to make sure that we're serving our clients, our partners and our customers in the way that suits them best. So if you want to go online, you want to do the whole experience online without ever talking to a human being, hey, we have an option for you. You can go here, you can do that and go through that process. If you want to speak to someone on the phone and do it the old fashioned way, we can take care of you there. So I think it's just being conscious, still going back to that customer centricity and like, what are people looking for? Um, and, and kind of how can we make their lives easier? And uh, sometimes that's going 100% digital. In other cases, it's not. So, um, but yeah, to your point, it's a very antiquated industry. Um, you know, we're making some headway, but obviously there's uh, a long, long way to go. Um, and we're definitely going to be around for a long time. So we hope to uh, make sure that we're continuing to innovate and, and, you know, make things happen in this industry that are going to make it easier for consumers and, and add a level of transparency. Exactly. No, I, I love that. You are doing great work and I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Obviously, you know, we're coming up on an hour. So let's uh, go through a couple of things before we let you go. So first of all, if there's any businesses listening and they want to learn more about your commercial insurance um, offering or how you can help them, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to our website. So www.summitcover. So summit as in the mountain, cover.com www.summitcover.com and they can um, follow us on LinkedIn. We're very active on LinkedIn and also um, Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, they can just search Summit Insurance on LinkedIn and they'll pop up. We're uh, kind of a purple logo there and I'm a mountain. So um, those are the two ways to contact. And then if you have any, anyone wants to reach out to me, um, I'm active on LinkedIn. You can always shoot me a message and would love to have a chat. Very good. And of course, we'll drop all those links below the show notes, wherever you're listening. So they'll be able to find that nice and easy as well. Um, well, anyway, Josh, thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. That was a great conversation. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me and uh, look forward to meeting in person at some point too. Awesome. We'll do that.